okay, maybe everything's not flawless, but does it have to be right now? I don't know. I think it needs to be interesting and exciting. It's, it's more important to me than you know, some idea of a pristine experience at the restaurant right now. Hi, I'm Post and Courier food editor Parker Milner, and this is Understand South Carolina, a weekly podcast from the Post and Courier. The review has long been part of the Post and Courier's food section, but the coronavirus pandemic led us, along with newspapers nationwide, to temporarily suspend this section of the paper in March 2020. But recently in March, the Post and Courier brought back the restaurant review with our piece on Brasserie Le Banc at 1 Broad Street in downtown Charleston. Moving forward, readers can expect to find a review inside the food and dining section twice a month. Today on Understand South Carolina, we'll peek behind the curtain with help from the Post and Courier's new contributing critic, Robert Moss. Robert is the contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living and the author of five books on food and beverage history. His most recent, The Lost Southern Chefs, was published in February. Robert has contributed to South Carolina publications across the state, including the Charleston City Paper, where he wrote restaurant reviews for years. Basically, I started reviewing restaurants here in Charleston at the time that the Charleston scene was really starting to blow up on the you know nationally, and so I sort of had a ringside seat as year by year Charleston got more and more acclaim, and the, you know more and more restaurants opened up. You know, when I first started reviewing. There was almost nothing on Upper King Street in terms of restaurants. You know, in 2010, 2011, when McIntosh and and um, it followed by a whole bunch of other uh, restaurants sort of opened up and sort of turned that into. You know the new restaurant row in Charleston. You really did get to to a ringside seat as we became. You know we were sort of known as a good Southern food city, but you know while I was doing that, we became acclaimed as sort of this international food destination where people would really come in from around the country and even around the world to to dine in Charleston. Let's talk a little bit about the criteria that we're going with for how we're choosing restaurants. We have kind of a running list and we're kind of plucking different places from it. Obviously, there's been a ton of restaurants that have opened in the last two years since the pandemic and since the Post and Courier stopped doing reviews. What sort of restaurants are you excited about reviewing? I'm excited about reviewing any restaurant right now because it's good to be back out out, and about. But like you say, um, when the pandemic came and restaurants briefly had to shut down altogether and then sort of you know, sort of open back up. It would, you know, obviously, it was not a good time in 2020, 2021 to be not really fair to be re- reviewing restaurants. But what's amazing is how much has changed in those two years. And the Charleston dining scene, like, like most people, I sort of stopped going out or mostly I just take out and stuff like that. So I had this big pause. When I sort of started going back out again, it's like this, this city looks very different than it did just two, two years ago. So I think from a criteria perspective, right now at least, you know, for, for the time being, we're doing pretty much Restaurants have opened in the past two years because, uh, you know, post career sort of put a hold on restaurant for two years. We have a lot to choose from. A lot has opened up. It's not like we're, we have any shortage of, of candidates. Yeah, I think one, one criteria is A, is it new is it, or something that, you know, people may not have had, had a chance to go eat at yet or people haven't really written about yet. The other is, though, trying to really spread it around. So we started off with, a, I, I thought, appropriately, like a big splashy downtown restaurant right at the corner of Broad in, in East Bay, which is Broad's with the Bank. And then... Sort of moving outward from there, so I just did uh, Laurel, which I wrote about sort of neighborhood restaurants because that's a there's a lot of things happening now in Charleston that away from the old restaurant rows, out in sort of the neighborhoods, old houses, old storefronts, and things like that. And then you'll see over the next you know, upcoming weeks and months, we're moving off the peninsula and, and to, trying to to move around Charleston and, and really get a, a sense of 
everything that's happening in the, in the Charles, the greater Charleston area, because there's quite a lot going on. You kind of mentioned the fairness and, you know, the, how the past two years has been so difficult on, on local independent restaurants, which has led us to not assign a star rating, which the Post and Courier and, and most publications have done in the past. So what's kind of your opinion on, on the star value right now and, you know, moving forward? Yeah, I, I think it's uns- uncertain, at least in my mind, what we'll do moving forward. I, I think we, we sort of wanted to ease into it without coming right out of the gate with stars and maybe bring them back, maybe, when the time's right. The star ratings are interesting. I've, I've never been crazy about them personally because I feel like, how do you boil a whole restaurant experience down to just like one, two, three, four, five stars, you know? I think that that could be hard to do. It's particularly challenging in this day and age, used to be restaurant reviews 20, 30 years ago, you only went to fine dining restaurants. So it was very much, you know, European, French inspired, classical cooking. You expected white tablecloths and your very fancy service, wine lists and sommeliers, and you sort of judged it as this 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 thing. But this food culture has changed so much in the last 20 years, and you all write a lot about barbecue. So how could I take a, a high-end French restaurant with very formal service and, and all that and then compare that to like a hole-in-the-wall barbecue joint somewhere. And even though I might thoroughly enjoy the experience of going to the barbecue joint as much as the, the restaurant, can you, can you give a barbecue joint five stars? Um, I don't know. So if we do go back to stars, I think we'll have to do a little bit of arm wrestling about what exactly a star means. But I think for now, as we talk back and forth, it seemed like, like it's a little premature, particularly since I think when you talk about star ratings, you got to incorporate everything into it. It can't just be the food. It can't just be, you know, one thing. You got to have the whole overall experience, service matters, et cetera. But right now, you know, restaurants are really still getting back on their feet. There's still a lot of challenges with staffing and, and things like that. So you have to, I think, you know, be a little bit measured in how you how you judge them. Just try, try to be fair and try to take it in context of, okay, maybe everything's not flawless, but does it have to be right now? I don't know. I think it needs to be Interesting and exciting is, is more important to me than you know, some idea of a pristine experience at the restaurant right now. Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Fairness, I think, was the most important thing we wanted to to harp on with bringing restaurant reviews back. Fairness, but also honest and, and engaging so you get everything that, that you would want. And the flip side, so me personally, not me not liking stars is a personal thing, but um, I'm starting to re- reconsider it. Some I've had some conversations lately since I started reviewing, talking to various folks, including some restaurant uh, owners, who some of them encouraged me to say you, you should do stars because they said that, that actually means a lot to to the restaurants. Too. It's one thing to just get a review that you know is in there, and if you read the whole thing, it's, it's good. But it's another thing to be able to have that almost quantitative judgment to say. And I guess it's different, like going to a class and you, you get an A, B, C, or D. Or you go to class and you get a nice narrative evaluation from your teacher. It's hard to walk out and say, well, it sounds good, but I'm not, I don't have that. I can't really compare myself to others. So so that's uh, that was the interesting take. That I, I wouldn't have thought the restaurateurs necessarily would like the star ratings, but at least some of them, some of them do. You've obviously been doing this for years, so could you kind of set the scene for us? You're going to review a restaurant. You have, you have one in your sights. What time do you like to go? How many things are you ordering? What questions are you asking when you're there? 
the days of the anonymous restaurant critic are, are long behind us when you know, Ruth Reichel used to put on disguises and you know, wigs and all this kind of stuff in New York to try to you know, be anonymous in, in the restaurants. You know, in the day of the internet, it's not hard to find somebody's picture if you want to online. In fact, there's, you know, I don't think anybody could be anonymous at this day and age. So it's not so much about no one knowing that you're there, but it, you don't announce it you're coming in, you know, make reservations, have someone else do it. I do like to experience the restaurant as sort of it's going to be most of the time. So if you go into a restaurant really early or you go in really late, it may not be the same as if you went more to peak hours. So I, I would try, I do try to get as close to the peak hours. There were some restaurants in Charleston these days. That's hard to do. Uh, good, good luck getting a seven o'clock reservation, <laughs> um, but try to get to as close to the prime time eating hours as I can. So between five thirty and maybe seven thirty or so. Mm-hmm. I always think you know how much food you have to order enough food, and that's going to vary from restaurant to restaurant. And the number of visits you make, I think, is going to depend upon you know have you felt like you've sampled everything that there is to offer. There's no, you, certainly you can't go into a restaurant, order maybe one or two entrees, eat them and then say, okay, now I, I got a feel for this restaurant. I think I got to eat enough to get a feel for the overall menu, the offering, what's what, what made good or bad. But I just try to be a rep- representative sampling, which is, you know, I always tell anybody who's eating with me, order too much. <laughs> it's better to have too much than too little. Get that extra appetizer. A couple of things I always do, which is try to get a, a feel for you know, what are the specials or what, what are the things that are highlighted by the restaurant? What are they highlight is their, is their specialty? I always ask the servers, you know, what do you recommend or, you know, you know what's popular? You know, sort of try to get their, their take, see where they'll, they'll steer you because you want the restaurants to guide diners. So I try to sort of do that. You know, here in Charleston, I always, I love to go for the, the seafood options when I can just because that's so, that's, that's usually where our restaurants really shine, whether it's like crudo for appetizers or just like a whole fish, you know, entree or something like that. So I try to really get get a feel for the restaurant, get a sense of what what makes this restaurant unique. How is it different from the from the place down down the road? We'll be right back with more after this quick message. Hi, I'm Taylor Istabo, and I'm an audience engagement producer for the Post and Courier. Our digital team makes sure the paper's journalism gets to you through our newsletters, social media accounts, and website. We put a lot of thought into what tweet will communicate the most important information from a story, or might make you laugh. And we know the news. We're constantly monitoring the biggest stories of the day and figuring out how to get that information to you. When you subscribe, you're supporting that work. Visit postandcourier.com slash subscribe today. We've included in our show notes Robert's first two reviews on Brasserie LeBanc and Laurel. Kind of expanding, let's start with Brasserie LeBanc. Could you kind of expand on some of your thoughts from that review? Uh, And for listeners who aren't, familiar that Brasserie LeBanc is one of the Indigo Road Hospitalities restaurant, which a restaurant group with Indaco, Oku, you mentioned Macintosh, which is now closed and has become Maya. So lots of restaurants in the area, but located in this iconic former bank building at the corner of Broad and East Bay Streets. But that was our first review. So could you talk a little bit more about Brasserie LeBanc? Yeah, and I think it was a good one to do first. And it's one of the reasons I think we, we picked it is because it is Indigo Road, which is a big presence Launched here in Charleston, but now they're really across the southeast. They're in D.C., they're in Atlanta, they're in Raleigh-Durham and Charlotte. Oak Steakhouse was their first restaurant, they're, and it's still their flagship restaurant, but now they're Oak Steakhouses all over the place. So it is sort of it, it, it is notable that you know a big Charleston dining group is opening a new a new restaurant. I think the setting is is first and foremost the thing you notice. You first walk in the door; it's really just stunning. The, the location is, is is fantastic and, and great. It is right at the corner of East Bay and Broad, and so I was sort of curious to see what the mix of people in there would be because 
it's sort of like what's one foot on Broad Street, and, and uh, which is sort of the you still sort of the lawyer district, the courthouse, and all that's down there. East Bay is formerly the where restaurant row, but it's really t- t- getting taken over by the, the tourist restaurants. Um, but it still seems to be primarily local folks in there, which I was I was interested to see. So my impression overall was just really really impressed by the, the food. It's one thing to, to do a French brasserie, um, but I felt like uh, Jeb Aldrich is a chef there. I think he. He takes sort of these French classics, but he gives them a spin of his own spin. There's always something else unique to it. I mean, the duck consomme is like, okay, it's duck consomme. It's soup. Actually, my wife was eating with me one of the visits. She says, oh, I don't like soup. But then you get these dumplings that are filled with foie gras, which is sort of this massive flavor explosion when you bite into them. And so her first bite was like, oh, wow. You know? But I think that's just typical. And then the poulet rouge is, um, you know, a lot of interesting things. You, know, you can do just a regular roasted chicken. I'm sure it'd be great. But they take it there, a little extra step to it. They they have the breast, but then they take the thighs. And I'm not sure exactly what all it does to it, but somehow rolls it and compresses it into these little discs. They're just super intensely flavored, really concentrated flavor with a, a wonderful dark jus served with it. And that's the kind of thing I really do like is when you take really good ingredients, but then the way you prepare them really just heightens and intensifies the flavor. The photos that our staff photographer Grace took were incredible, but the, yeah. the plates, I mean, really just impressive what, what they're doing in that department. Yeah, they really are. And if you get a chance, I, um, th- there's a bar vault or Volte, I'm not sure how you, you say it, but that's downstairs. It's the, it's the bar. But it's actually a really cool place, too, because it, the building has this curved front and stone. And it's one of the few places on the peninsula with, which actually has a basement. And so you can actually go, go downstairs uh, like you might in other cities to the bar. It's a pretty cool bar downstairs, too. You can sit next to this curved stone wall. It's just a, a great location. For your second review, you wrote about Laurel, which is a Spanish-Portuguese restaurant mm-hmm. near the medical district. It's really a restaurant that is kind of the exact place that fits in the criteria of what we run a review. It's a, it's a neighborhood place that opened during the pandemic that's kind of flying under the radar. And in your piece, you talked about the shift of neighborhood bistros in Charleston. So could you talk about Laurel in, in that context? That whole quarter has really changed a lot. The Spring Street and you know, there's all kinds of restaurants up and down Spring now, uh, going down to like Rutledge and, and, and uh, Ashley Avenues. It's for a long time, it's been neighborhoods, but and it's sort of you know it's a mixed bag because a lot of um, what's happening is a lot of those old houses are getting converted into Airbnbs. So there is suddenly it's it doesn't look like it, but Spring Street is, is almost a hotel district now because of how many out of town guests there are. The benefit for that is that you know it, it now supports a lot of, of restaurants and different types of restaurants, not just a quick lunch spot that somebody from MUSC might run to to grab a like, you know a quick sandwich, but somewhere you can go sit down and have a nice dinner and. You know, as the tourist uh, environment continues to just grow and grow and grow and the hotels and everything build up, you know, King Street's rents are increasingly becoming way too expensive for an independent restaurateur to afford. It's just sort of insane how much you have to pay uh, for that rent. So increasingly, those are getting taken over by restaurants that really appeal to the out-of-town tourists who just want to duck in and get, you know, whatever, their ice cream or or coffee, but all the really interesting stuff's happening down. I think in a lot of those old converted storefronts, like what Laurel used to be. I, in the review, I, I went back and I went to some old city directories and figured out what used to be in the building because I was sort of curious. Um, it was originally a fruit stand. Uh, at least the first thing I found was a, a fruit stand or a fruit shop 
occupying that building. I think there were apartments on uh, above it. And then over time, it, it sort of changed. Um, it was a florist shop at one point, and then after MUSC was built, it later became a medical supply company. It was like an office for a medical supply company. And it became what they called a professional bookstore, which was a medical medical book. So for MUSC, you could go there, I guess, and get all your textbook. That was in the, in the 80s. Um, couldn't quite figure out exactly when it got abandoned, but at some point, you know, whatever, the, the bookstore closed. I'm not sure if everything followed or not, but at some point it got boarded up. And for as long as I can remember, that, that building just sort of sat boarded up until a couple of years ago, somebody bought it and renovated it. It had a pizza place for a little while. But, um, and I'm sure Laura will serve people from MFC, MFC but it's only, it, at least for now, it's only open for dinner. But it's a little bit different because, you know, it's not just trying to serve that office crowd. And it's, it's a great place to go in, have, you know, a glass of wine. It's sort of a tapas format, so you have small plates. I actually prefer the large plates, which is unusual. Most tapas places I go to, are, the large places or plates are a disappointment, you know, all the small ones. But at Laurel, they had this, this big um, Jasper charcoal fired oven. It's actually sort of a combination oven grill where you know, it has a big, it actually looks like a pizza oven. It has a big door that flops down. But up underneath is like a bed or a whole tray of, of charcoal. So it's actually burning charcoal in there. So whatever you put in it is sort of like in a hot oven, but also over charcoal. So you get sort of that grilling and, and roasting effect. The whole fish they did, I think it was a sea bass. Was it sea bass? I think it was sea bass and then I was there. It was just fantastic. It was just really delicious. And that, you know, grilled over charcoal, basically, or roasted over charcoal. And even better is the, the, the chicken. It's like a half a chicken is sent over. It's just absolutely wonderful. So pig plates are good, and it's a good for great place for for an evening dinner. I think, you know, maybe some folks from USC may stay downtown, but increasingly there's the you know, there's lots of people, foot traffic around there. But one good thing is, unlike King Street, where you'll circle and circle trying to find a parking space or have to park in a garage, I went three times, and every time I parked on within a half block. Uh, and so it's really easy to zip right up, hop out, and, and run in, which is... If you don't live downtown, uh, that's, a, that's a huge benefit to be able to easily park somewhere. We're not going to give away what restaurants we're, we're going to review, uh, obviously, but are there some Charleston restaurants that you've been really enjoying lately or any upcoming openings that, that you're really looking forward to? One place I've not been yet, and I probably, uh, if we do review it, it'll be a while, so I can <laughs> I can say, but like Rancho Lewis is what I think they're, they're calling it. Just opened up, I think, uh, this this past weekend. Looking forward to that. Primarily, well, I, I know John pretty, pretty well because of the barbecue that he's been doing for a long time, and he's one of the best. I mean, you don't need to go to Texas. You can just go <laughs> to Lewis Barbecue and get some of the best brisket uh, in the country. But I think what he does is with with green chilies is really interesting. Um, you know, he's from El Paso. He brings in loads of Hatch chilies every year, fresh from from Hatch, New Mexico, which is right across the border from El Paso. And he's sort of calling it border food, not Tex-Mex per se, because it's sort of his homage to the kind of food he ate growing up, which is sort of this intersection of Texas with New Mexico with with Mexico. Um, so I'm really interested in checking that out and, and saying it haven't been yet, but that one's on my list. It, it's a cool example of how you can educate diners on a really niche type of cuisine and also execute it really well and make something that's kind of approachable for everyone. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting. It's another example of what I think is happening with Charleston dining right now, which is, you know, there was a period where it was just exciting, like years and years ago, just to put shrimp and grits on the menu because, you know, no one ever had that. We're doing Southern stuff like that. And then McCready's and Husk and, you know, sort of the new, when all that blew up. But at that time, everyone was trying to make this sort of hyper Southern, hyper local, you know, you know, it was all bacon and fried chicken and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. 
But what's happening lately is you're seeing lots of genre restaurants. So I don't think it's, it's an accident or, or maybe it's telling that, you know, the first restaurant we did was a French brasserie. The second restaurant we reviewed was a Spanish-Portuguese sort of tapas kind of inspired place. And you're getting much more of that where a restaurant is a, of a specific thing. So I think Rancho, Rancho Lewis fits into that. It's a Tex-Mex or border food. It's trying to take a cuisine. There is always a Charleston spin on it, I think. It's not going to be like a restaurant that you want to go to Charlotte or, or Raleigh and necessarily get, get the same thing. But I do think that we are seeing a lot of um, people exploring genres very much um, and, and sort of taking, okay, I'm going to do a French restaurant. I'm going to do a, a well, even barbecue can be a, its own, own genre, but putting a little bit of a Charleston spin on it. All right, that's all for today. I'm Emily Williams, your usual host of Understand South Carolina. Thanks to food editor Parker Milner for hosting today's episode. Like he said, we've included links to Robert's first two food reviews in today's show notes. And look out for his reviews twice a month. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Do you want to hear more food and Charleston dining content on this podcast? Let us know. You can write to us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or tweet us at understandsc. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.